All right, welcome to the Bruise Line Road Show. Today we're in Fishers, Indiana, starting up our No Place Like Home series. We're at Four Day Ray with Brian Graham. Say hello, Brian. Hey, what's going on? Uh, Brian is the founder and the co-owner and the chief bottle washer and the food taster, but today he's the beer taster. <laughs> exactly. So, so, Brian, you and I have known each other for a long time. I, I counted the years. It's almost 20 years. Yeah, that makes that's about sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, I know a little bit of your story. You know, how did you get started? What inspired you to go into the brewing business? Give us a little background. Yeah, sure. Um, so I had owned a couple restaurants back in the mid-aughts. I owned some Dick's Bodacious Barbecues when those guys were around. And I went bankrupt over one location and was... Lucky enough to, I'll put it in quotes, sell one um, just to get out from underneath it. Uh, it was definitely a, a, a tough lesson learned. Um, you know, my family you know, was involved in the bankruptcy, obviously. We lost our house. So, you know, that was an expensive education for sure. And uh, after that, I got into software sales and did that for a while. And I started homebrewing in 1996. So I had been homebrewing, you know, throughout this entire time uh, when I had the restaurants, and you know, the I would have the sales jobs at startup, you know, software companies, and so you know that environment's definitely uh, very tough, and it's it's still risky. It's not as risky as having your own business, but you know, there's definitely a lot of pressure. And so one day, uh, it was February in 2012. It was a Sunday night, and my wife just said, "Hey." why don't you just open a brewery? And I said, oh, wow, all right. You know, and this was after the bankruptcies and all that. So I said, well, I mean, I got the blessing, so I'm going to go ahead and start planning. So that was back in 2012. Yeah, so, so I know you were looking around for locations for a while. Tell me how we developed uh, the location here at Fishers. How did that come about? Yeah, so I was looking for an investment group, and um, I met Chris Welsh, who's one of my business uh, partners, and then Matt Troyer as well, uh, both are Fisher's residents. And I was originally looking in Westfield, that's where, I, that's where I live, and it you know, just wasn't as far along as far as the development goes there. Um, there's about three to four times as many people in Fisher's as there are at Westfield. So, you know, we started adding up the numbers and it just made a lot more sense to be here in Fishers. Uh, plus, I couldn't really find a location that was, um, you know, more than like a block away from the Fishers Police Department. <laughs> so we thought, oh, that might hinder business just a little bit. Um, so uh, we decided that we would look at plans for Fishers and the city was looking for something to anchor uh, their, the beginning development here in the Nickel Plate District. And so it just all worked out really well. Yeah, it all seemed to come together uh, pretty quick. So, you know, we're here in Fishers, and what do you think people should know about this community? People who might come and visit and, and just, uh, you know, what's the story with Fishers from your perspective? Yeah, I think it's a great community. Uh, the, you know, Scott and the, um, and the government, I think, are doing a really nice job of, you know, making and creating amenities that people want um, in, a, in a city like Fishers. So, you know, you have... You've got housing, you've got condominiums, you have apartments. Um, you know, this downtown area is walkable. Uh, they're bringing in, you know, minor league sport type things and arenas. And so, you know, I think they're doing a really good job of bringing the amenities here. And I think that's attracting 
uh, people into the area and people not only you know live here but they also work here which is great for us because there's a lot of traffic downtown and so I just think they're doing a really good job and the community is supportive of each other um, you know I'm really glad that we were open when we were because during COVID uh, we had already had a foothold and were a staple in the community and the community really came out and supported us because you know one of our things is um, you know our tagline is brewed for community and we try to give back um, as much as we can on a local level uh, and contribute to you know different um, organizations within the community so I think that really helped us and I think people understand our mission and understand the impact that we do make in the community and so they were really supportive yeah, so do you go a little deeper into that core value of, of Four Day Ray and your mission, you know, what you guys are trying to accomplish beyond making great beer? Yeah, so the tagline Brewed for Community, I think it really hits on uh, a few different avenues, if you will. So obviously beer brings people together in community, right? So whether it's your friends and family, uh, you know, obviously we have the restaurant as well. So, you know, we want good food to go along with the beer. And then also, too, brewed for community, meaning the community that we reside in. And, you know, through the support of the community, we're able to give back and be able to, um, you know, do the program uh, that we have. It's called Tap for a Cause. And so we partner with a not-for-profit organization every month. Uh, there's no pamphlets. There's no flyers. There's no anything. Just by dining here on a Tuesday night from four to, you know, close, you're contributing to our partner for the month. And you know, it's our way of being able to really make an impact uh, to an organization and not like have you know, a dime to donate where we're giving $80 to some organization. Sure. When it's, you know, that just really is not helpful for anybody. Yeah, no, a great uh, event, or I should say ongoing thing that you guys have. Tell me a little bit, I, I, I know we heard Brewer Mitch bumping around here in the brewery, but give me a little bit of uh, the approach you guys have to to brewing beers. How do you decide on the ingredients? What are some some of the techniques that make four day ray four day ray? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. You know, early on, I think we were a little bit ahead of our time. Um, you know, we wanted to make lower ABV beers that people could drink more than one of. Um, you know, and be able to have uh, good flavor, but not necessarily have to have you know everything be eight percent. Um, you know. Mitch's philosophy, and I really agree with this, it's like, well, you know, it might not be your favorite IPA, but like when you come in here, you know that our IPA is good. Um, and, you know, we, ha we try to have a really good variety of different kinds of beer. Like we don't have like 18 IPAs and a couple of other things. Like we really do have a, a wide variety of things. And, you know, we think if you can't really find something when you come in here, like you, maybe you're just like too picky or something you know you don't like beer but of course you guys got the bar on the other right. side so yeah, exactly everybody's happy Just give me a couple of the flagship beers for people that don't know what are the ones that really go for you guys what are the favorites what are the ones that we're going to find here all the time yeah uh blood orange blonde that's our number one seller who would have thought you know that beer isn't necessarily my go-to but you know we do it in a way um from a fruited beer standpoint that you know, it's we're proud of it. Um, it's dry. Uh, it's not overly fruity. Uh, the fruit complements the beer. It's still a beer. It's a great boat beer. Um, I think it really sort of transcends the craft um, community in the sense that it does appeal to macro drinkers that are curious about craft. And I think that's why it has such a large appeal and it is so successful. 
Um, you know, people will come in and they'll say, hey, what's the closest thing that you have to a Coors Light? And I'll give them Indiana Flyer, and that still has too much flavor for them, but I can give them a Blood Orange Blonde any day of the week, and they'll pick that one over the Flyer, which is, you know, not necessarily what you would think, but, um, you know, it's not bitter, it's smooth, and it has a slight citrus uh, component to it because of the Blood Orange, and it's just really easy to drink. You do have a, a pretty decent IPA. Don't, don't yeah. shortchange that Thank one. Thank you, Tell I us appreciate a little that. Yeah, that. I mean, I wish more people would drink it. I mean, I would say, you know, it's definitely up in the top you know, three in the market, in my opinion, um, as far as, like, just objectively from my BJCP judge certification goes. But, um, you know, obviously I'm a little biased. But, yeah, so we, we have Track Jumper. And then I think recently we've really uh, dialed in our juicy recipe, the uh, fishing for hoplements. Uh, we use Nectaron uh, is the hop that we use in that. It's a single hop, and it really is very juicy, a lot of tangerine and orange in that one. Um, and... You know, I people really enjoy that one too. Well, yeah, and I was here. You and I were visiting uh, not too long ago, and I'm telling you, I'm trying to break that IPA habit, but it's really, really tough when you have yeah. places like uh, <laughs> places like you guys. You got Track Jumper, fishing for hoplites, but two two four day race credit. You know, a, a, a lot of times we'll walk into a, a brewery, and seven out of ten selections will be IPAs. Now I get it, you get it. So yeah. It's popular. Yeah, people, but. Buy but being able to have a wide range, I think, is, is also. What about seasonals? What do you guys, do you have certain things you do during certain parts of the year? Yeah, uh, we have one on right now. We're almost out of it. Um, it's called Mystic Ember. It's a Roush beer, so it's a uh, Beachwood smoked malt. Um, and it's basically like Oktoberfest with smoked malt in it. It's really nice, approachable. It's a good fall seasonal, in my opinion, because most people will brew, you know, a porter or a stout or something like that. And uh, it's just a little bit different. And it's not overly smoky. Uh, there are a lot of things out there that you can buy that's like drinking liquid uh, campfire. And, it, and it, it's not that way. And it goes really well with food. And it's just really nice. And it just says fall, right? I mean, when you're drinking it, you're just like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then, you know, we have our Oktoberfest. Uh, Snowshed was really popular this year. It's our winter ale. Um, and that's brewed with local honey from McClure's up in Peru. Uh, and we, you know, that's um, cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, and honey. Um, and kind of a, a reddish, you know, kind of garnet um, hue to it. We served it out at Chris Kindle Mart, and it did really well out there. So, um, yeah, those are some Yeah, of once seasons. again, connecting different events and different things that are going on in the community. I think that that's something that is a common thread as we go out and visit breweries. Is It's about the community. I, you know, from, from my perspective, it, there's a lot of breweries out there that are almost in the role of starting to be, and you guys are a little different from that, but almost in the role of starting to be like the neighborhood tavern, right? Yeah. Back from back in the day, I grew up in Chicago and there was a tavern on every corner. And I think that's what you're seeing uh, quite a bit of. And I think the breweries that do succeed um, get connected with the community really mm -hmm. quick. Yeah, sure. Uh, so you guys are obviously in distribution. Oh, by the way, I heard Blood Orange Blonde is a really good golf course beer. Just, just <laughs> yeah, saying. Absolutely. But, but how do you guys balance quality and quantity now that you're out in a quite a bit of um, production and distribution? You know, how do you keep that that sense of excellence, that sense of craft in the uh, in the brewing process? You know, given that we are, you know, the size that we are, you know, we don't have um, the breadth of coverage um, that a lot of larger breweries do. So we, you know, we rely on our customers to help us out and. You know, we're very open about owning, um, you know, if we are making a mistake or if there's something wrong with the, the product. 
you know, we'll replace it, um, you know, try to make it right however we can. Uh, we, we definitely have people reach out to us and they're like, hey, you know, I just wanted you guys to know and they're not even expecting anything. So, you know, that's great. And, you know, I just want people to know that we'll take care of them. And if there is a problem, we definitely stand behind our product and we, you know, stuff happens. And, you know, you can't, it can't be perfect all the time. Well, you mentioned earlier some of the uh, endeavors you were involved in previously. It takes a lot of good people to do these things. So tell me a little bit about um, what you guys look for in your staff. What are some of the qualities and skills that make a team member here at Four Day Ray? Yeah, if, you know, first off, I'm, I just think, you know, they just have an inherent ability to want to take care of people. You know, whether it's in the restaurant or, you know, on the brewery side when we're out doing deliveries and we're, you know, just dropping something off over at a liquor store or trying to take care of, you know, whatever, you know, being able to take care of people and just do the right thing. I think that's really kind of the foundational of, of what we want in our staff and people that care, right? And um, just doing the right thing. I mean, I think, and, you know, it's, it seems not, you know, very common sense, but a lot of times, you know, people are just collecting a paycheck and, you know, we want people to grow here. We don't expect people to like, you know, just stay here the rest of their career or whatever. We want to see people go on and succeed and, you know, there's no hard feelings when people move on, and we just hope that we can uh, teach some, you know, some things along the way, and they get, you know, better and um, grow as as they want to grow in their career, and then we can help out and be a stepping stone in that. Yeah. So, so what should patrons expect when they walk through the door at Four, four Day Ray? What should their expectation be? Um, you know, I think, I mean, when obviously the building, you know, is is impressive, it's massive. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I've had people tell me that it looks like something out of Chicago. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that the environment was comfortable, warm, inviting. Uh, and I think if people feel good when they walk into a place, chances are, you know, whether the experience is great or, you know, if there's something that is left to be desired, um, you know, I think they're willing to give you a second chance or, you know, just say, hey, you know, this wasn't up to standards and, you know, just let you know so that you can correct it and make it, you know, better next time around. So, you know, I think, like, people just want to be taken care of when they're in here and I think they can feel that we do care and even if we're not perfect all the time that we will make the situation as good as it can be. So we're uh, enjoying a little beer here today. So tell us a little bit about what we got in front of us. Yeah, today. so this is Moonrays. Uh, this is our uh, second installment of our collaboration with Moontown. Uh, Corey and Bobby over there, the guys, they're great, and JJ. Uh, we enjoyed both of the collaborations that we did. The first one we did, we, did, we brewed here. It's called Where There's Smoke, There's Porter. Um, and it was a smoked Baltic porter. Uh, we actually did that as a collab to enter into the Great American Beer Festival. We didn't win anything, sadly, but we all liked it, and the beer moved really well at both places, so, uh, you know, we were extremely excited about that. Um, but Moonrays is a, um, a West Coast lager, or a Pilsner, and I think there's, like, probably five ways to describe it right now, depending on who you're marketing to or, you know, how, what people want to call it. Um, but basically, um, I'll call it's just a it damn lager. good. Yeah. It's really nice. Um, you know, there's New Zealand hops in it. has Matueka in it. Um, it has Nectaron, um, uh, Citra, and a handful of others I can't remember off the top of my head. But, man, it's really smooth. The hop flavor's there. I get a little bit of white grape there. Um, there's some lime, peach rings. 
Uh, the aroma is fantastic. Um, and so, like, when you're done drinking, like, a really heavy IPA and you still want the hop flavor, like, you could come back to this. And, yeah, you know. I mentioned I'm trying to ease away a little bit. Yeah, right. Perfect, uh, perfect crossover stepping stone, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the Moontown guys, I mean, they told me it's selling really well at their place, too. So we're already planning our next collab. We don't really know what it's going to be yet, but uh, we really like working with those guys. And, you know, it's, uh, we work well together. Well, and, and, that, and that's uh, one of the things I, I'm interested in is how you keep up on innovations. How do you plug into the industry? You're obviously doing some collabs with people, but what are some other ways that you and the team plug in with the craft brewing industry? Yeah, I mean, Mitch and Mason, they're, they, do, they're, they have their line of podcasts that they do that they listen to. Um, we attend... Uh, the Craft Brewers Conference every year. There's a lot of learning opportunities there as far as innovations go. Um, you know, we get we have a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. A lot of innovation ha happens at the homebrew level uh, as well. So you, know, you ha have to have your ear to the ground, I think, in all those channels just so that you can sort of, you know, take what's going on and what other people are doing and try to, like, make it work for your brewery. Um, you know, the, the files and all of the stuff that is going on right now with hop utilization and how people are using it and how it's you know, way different than it used to be. I mean, there's so much chemistry and just biology involved in it. It's just crazy. I asked this question to, uh, to all of our guests, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it for, to you as well. Hey, if I'm a home brewer and I want to get into uh, opening my own brewery, mm -hmm. um, and you certainly uh, have had an interesting path to get here. So, right. uh, what advice would you give me? I would say, uh, you know, the market right now is uh, hyper local. I would say, um, so, you know, like you said earlier about the, you know, breweries being the local watering hole. I think, especially in you know, smaller towns, I think that's really true. You know, people want to come out and they want to support their local brewer. You know, if you're opening a place, I mean, I would look for a spot where maybe there isn't a niche filled. Um, you know, and, and depending on, you know, the size that you're planning, you know, you may or may not be able to, you know, support yourself off of the, you know, the volume that you're selling. So if the system is too small, you know, basically you're just brewing all the time and you really can't ever catch up. So, you know, there's kind of a, it's a, a double-edged sword there. You can really get yourself into a tough spot. Um, and, and if you're not making enough money off the volume that you're selling, you need another job, but you need to be, you know, brewing more beer, like, you know, it kind of becomes a catch-22. Yeah. So it's definitely a tough business, especially if you're trying to distribute these days. You know, we, I think, are moving into a hybrid model where we've got distribution, but then, you know, we have our second location opening in Yorktown. So the more that we can sell pints across the bar, you know, that's just helpful for us to, you know, be able to, you know, get more margin out of what we're doing. Yeah, so you walked right into it. What's the future plans for Four Day Ray? You mentioned... Uh another location so talk a little bit more about that yeah you know I, the whole community thing right i think um with where at least i see the industry going as far as a hyper local um kind of um, need really is that you know you really have to have a presence in the community i mean gone are the days of just like throwing your product up on a shelf and expecting people to buy it um there's so much competition retailers you know they they just really don't have the wherewithal for it anymore. And so, you know, there's like really difficult choices being made. So if you can't identify with the community and they don't really understand your brand, then, 
you know, the chances of them picking you up on a shelf somewhere is probably slim, you know, to none. So with us branching out, it also helps us proliferate, you know, our brood for community and help make an impact in other communities outside of fisheries. So the folks that we have hired up in Yorktown, they're all local. Our whole management team, you know, is from up in that area. And then obviously the serving staffs will be too. So, you know, we want to create jobs and, you know, have a, a great place for people to work and feel confident in what they're doing. Do you see this as more of a hub and spoke model, maybe continuing to go out from different locales out of Yeah, locations? I mean, I would like, you know, in the next five years, I'd like to have at least, you know, t like four to five total locations uh, for sure. Um, and, you know, where that is, I'm not sure yet. I mean, obviously there are some some nice spots I, you know I think green would be would be a great place for us I mean it's basically the same demographic as Fishers except more trucks you know yep so, more trucks yeah uh, so you know I, I think there's there's areas around the city that we can make an impact for sure no I, I think uh, you know the whole area is poised for growth and and you know Fisher certainly has exploded you know I like I said I've been here 28 years um, and uh, if you I, w I wish I had some pictures of this area to show you uh, yeah, heck, back it's not even day. close to the same as when we bought our building exactly. here seven years ago. Exactly. Years. Well, I guess my final question is, just give us a little bit more about Brian. Give me some of your history, where'd you grow up? Uh, people always like to know about the personalities behind the beer. Oh, sure. And I know, you, I know you got lots of them here, but I only got you. So tell me a little bit more about Brian. Where'd you come from? Yeah. You, you know? uh, so I grew up in Carmel. Uh, I graduated from Carmel High School in 91. I uh, went to Purdue. Uh, started in the engineering program, but I did not have the personality for it. So I have a communications degree. That makes two of us brother. Yeah, there we go. So, um, and then I eventually ended up in sales, uh, which, you know, I mean, definitely suits me. I'm not a detail-oriented person. Um, I'm definitely a type A personality. I'm very driven. So, you know, owning my own business, um, I just like to do it the hard way, I guess you could say. <laughs> Well, yeah, you, you did it a little bit harder on the way, but it yeah. seem, seems like things are going yeah. okay now. But, you know, there was, I mean, if I hadn't had, you know, the bankruptcy and, you know, the, the restaurants before this, I mean, I wouldn't have learned as much as I did. So, you know, that was definitely helpful, and I, you know, wouldn't trade any of that experience or anything. Um, you know, as, as I've gotten older, I mean, I try to be, I'm a pretty self-aware uh, person, and so I try to, you know, just get better. Um, at communicating with people, um, you know, just being up front. And, I mean, I'm not a big person on conflict. So, you know, it's, it's, I try to avoid it at all costs. But, you know, oftentimes there's a lot of call. You know, you just have to be direct. But you don't have to be, you know, a butthead about it. You can disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah, you can certainly do that. And, you know, I think there, there's definitely an art to that. So, well, hey, Brian, I want to thank you again for taking some time with us. We're with Brian Graham at Four Day Ray. Cheers, my brother. Hey, thanks a lot, Dale.